Hi everyone, AJ here. Just wanted to get out in front of this episode and say thank you all for the understanding when we decided not to release an episode last week to make some room uh, for black voices and the black community. Uh, I do want to make it clear as we move forward with our regular release schedule that this does not mean that the conversation or the struggle is over. Uh, Right at the top of the show notes in this episode, you will find a link to a great compilation of resources where you can donate, sign petitions, and educate yourself about race and police brutality issues in America. Uh, Thank you again for all of your understanding. Uh, here is the show. Hello, and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond, and today on the show, we are in between Memories of Ice and House of Chains. So I brought on a guest, and we're going to kind of have a discussion about Memories of Ice in context to the whole series with spoilers. So if you haven't read those 10 books and you don't want to listen to the show, I think now's the time to tune out and uh, have a nice day. Now, today on the podcast, we had on maybe the only Malazan YouTuber. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not certain, but I'm pretty sure he's leading the way. Iskar Jarax on the show, and uh, here he is. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Excited to have you on. Great channel. And it's uh, fun someone's in that space. Why don't yeah. you tell us a little bit about uh, where you are with the series, how many times you've read it, that type of thing, and just uh, introduce yourself a bit. Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, in my third read through right now. I'm in Deadhouse Gate. So I'm about a third of the way through just starting this third round. And I decided to get back into the books. I had read them many years ago for the first time and uh, had to take about a year or two to kind of just mentally process process and then did my second full read through the main 10 and then all the ice stuff uh, about two years after I finished the main series. And so I had just finished that up maybe three, four years ago as I sit here now. And uh, yeah, been reading a lot of different stuff, but actually just decided I I wanted to get back to Malazan because I feel like there was still a a bunch of stuff that a bunch of nuggets left to be mined. Yeah, I think that's what's kind of great. There's so much to pull from it. And in fact, I'm looking forward to just being able to return to it later in my life too. Um, I have like a very hot memories of ice take, but before we get to it, I would just love to hear, you know, overall, what do you think of this book and its place in the, the series as total? Yeah, I I love it. I'm in that camp, you know, which is a popular opinion out there. But I do think that it's one of the best of the series. I think Mm -hmm. it's it even makes sense to kind of potentially read it second just because you're sticking with those characters and it happens contemporaneous with Deadhouse Gates more or less. But uh, I really actually yeah, yeah. enjoyed this one and Deadhouse Gates just because you don't realize how much they're actually laying down for the whole remainder of the series. And, you know, even within like the first third of both books, you know, you're setting up some of the pretty huge arcs that are going to play out for many, many more books. And, Going through it even the first and second time, there's just no way to appreciate like how consequential all these little bits and pieces are. Absolutely. And especially, I think, in Deadhouse Gates, I was definitely unaware of what was being laid. I mean, I was just like, so, you know, right. I think a lot of that stuff's pretty slick, going to slip by you. But I think definitely in 
Memories of Ice. And even on my first read through, I think it's just because the crippled God draws so much attention. Plus, maybe you have this meta knowledge that that's the 10th book's name, right? That I was like, okay, maybe that's what these books are about. It's like Mm -hmm. about this dude. Do you know what I mean? But like, still then, it's really just an emerging thing. You know, I don't think when I was reading it that first time, I had such a clear image. But definitely the second time through, you can see more how like, I don't know. Because in Gardens of the Moon, some things are set up, but I feel like really, I don't know, it's more being laid out yeah. in two and three. Yeah, definitely. Lots of just little seeds that seem, you know, inconsequential. And especially if you go Deadhouse Gate, you know, if you go publication order on it, then I think, you know, you're also trying to digest all the new scenery and players that are mm-hmm, that are mm-hmm. in the mix and stuff. And so you're just feeling like you kind of got your arms wrapped around the world in Gardens of the Moon. Then you're, you know, there's this whole new cast of folks and and you're just trying to remember names and continents and kind of suss out all the, the political dynamics that, you know, some of the little gems are are you know easily lost in the shuffle. Absolutely, and plus, uh, and, and we actually just talked about this before we start recording. I do think it's one of those things where this time through of reading it, I feel like I'm actually understanding the book so much more. You know, yeah. So you're able to actually pick up on those things where definitely you're like. I don't know, catching names and stuff that first time through. Um, but you're ready. Here, here's my hot take. And I know you said Memories of Ice uh, is very high in the series, right? Um, yeah. Like if we're talking about favorites and junk, um, which I think is probably a pretty popular opinion. You know, I don't it know is. if you can quantify it, but I feel like Memories of Ice is probably the most popular of the 10 books, you know? Fully agreed. And it's got some of the big moments too. You know, if you're not just ranking the books, but if you're ranking some of the huge uh, moments of the whole series, this one, you know, a lot of them come from Memories of Ice. Definitely, definitely. And I got to say, reading the book the second time through, I my opinion probably lowered of it in a way, you Uh know? Yeah. Which uh, I don't want to mislead anyone. I still think it's like a a great book, you know, and and I mentioned this to Steve when I talked to him recently. It's like in some ways, Memories of Ice is a very traditional story. You know, they're like is an evil empire somewhat. And like it is about a bunch of different good armies all uniting and like all this stuff right. and there's these different heroes and the ending it is in some ways very traditional you know like we're yeah. all going to unite there's this battle people lose but um which i think compared to later parts of the series you know mm-hmm. like if you took a take a book like reaper's gale it is a very subversive and unsatisfying book you know <laughs> dissatisfying right and like it's on purpose, right? And like right. you know, there's it, there, he's doing a lot more experimental stuff, and he's like playing with the form and trying to make new things, you know. And I think that ends up being a lot more challenging for readers, me included, you know. Yeah. I so I do think there's a way in that since Memories of Ice is hung around a familiar story structure in a way that right. I think it almost becomes so enticing and like. I certainly, my first read through was so drawn to it since there's such a clear narrative to it. So I think my time rereading it, I guess, especially since I've grown to love books like Toll Toll Hounds and yeah, and and kind of more experimental parts of the series, I guess I walked away thinking like, oh, I, this is a great book, but I feel like Malazan can can do such weirder things. And I almost prefer it when it's in that experimental mode. So it's not like I think the book's bad. I guess I just thought 
I don't know. I was draw. I, I, it makes me think about the other place, other books in the series. So, what 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 do you think of my that hot take? Yeah, no, I love it. it I think it's a really interesting take. I think that uh, there's definitely some more kind of tropish elements, if you will, uh, to Memories of Ice, and you have like kind of Gruntle being that reluctant hero and taking on some sure, of the sure. the tropes. I think for me on this, you know, on these read throughs that I'm doing now, I'm really uh, trying to challenge myself. And I feel like that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting back into on Memories of Ice as I was like doing my homework and stuff for this and just kind of boning up on my on my Memories of Ice stuff is, you know, you kind of come through the first couple books in particular. um, And you get a little bit of this in Deadhouse Gates, but where you know, you're pretty clear on on the kind of dynamics of of where the conflict is and the story with the Empress kind of being this, um, you know, double crossing and everybody's mm-hmm, pissed at her mm-hmm. and kind of how dare she disband our, you know, favorite squad and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you start to kind of have to, at least this time around, and I don't think I was that empathetic to her before, but I'm starting to, you know, look at it more through the the shoes of, of Lacine and, and kind of how um, a lot of the, the narrative that we've been, you know, there's been an unreliable narrator essentially up till this point with respect to uh, the bridge burners and the dynamic dynamics within the empire itself. And I, I appreciate that part of it. So I totally get what you're saying. Um, but I do think that there's that kind of the tropish bones with this more subtle stuff uh, under the surface where you're really kind of challenging your own view of what you thought you knew for the first couple books. Well, I agree with that. And definitely there's a lot more going on, you know, and I don't want to sound like I'm sidelining memories of ice. I think it's like, I guess it's just because these subversive things he's doing, you know, because I can think if you take like a character like at Covian, you know, this is not, I don't know, sure. he's still doing some interesting stuff with that character and like taking on burdens and blah, blah, blah. Um, but like it's around the, it's like all dancing around this kind of similar structure that yeah. we're all very familiar to, you know, so then when he's doing dancing with the experimental stuff in like Dust of Dreams, you know, I way more get how maybe people bounce off of that book, you know, uh-huh. because there's less to grab onto if you're like looking for that type of, I don't know, big fantasy story that resolves in this big battle against an emperor, you know, yeah. clear lines. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I guess that's all I was thinking about is like just how, how approachable Memories of Ice is. I definitely think it's the most welcoming of the 10 books in a way. You know, hundred hundred percent, yeah, and I think it, that's why I, you know, and sometimes I, I recommend going to Memories of Ice first, just because again, you don't have that hurdle of of kind of learning all these new, you know, folks out there, but also just because it is kind of resembles uh, traditional, you know, modern fantasy and kind of is easy to just get sucked in and have a linear narrative kind of from start to finish, where there's you know preparations, a conflict, and then a resolution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There is a really clear beginning, middle, end. And that's why I think it's going to be interesting going to House of Chains, which obviously structurally yeah. is just like such a different thing, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, uh, and now to loop around to this last scene thing, I I think it's interesting too, because at the end of book three, I kind of feel like it's the end of what I would say is the imperial politics focus, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but definitely when I you begin reading Gardens of the Moon, like the imperial politics, Lacine betraying them, and you know we're these scrappy soldiers. Like to me, it was very forefronted as like this is what the story's about. You know, it's about the oh, yeah. machinations of the empire, and it's only when you're on like book. 
I don't know, like way late in the series, you're like, actually, the Empire is not important. You know, it's like it, it, that all of that stuff kind of fades away, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and looking back on it, I feel like it's actually now in Memories of Ice that like, I don't know, it's kind of the Empire. This is what I don't know. From here on out, the Empire is kind of unimportant, you know, if yeah. it was ever important at all, really, you know, definitely. And and I came to this, you know, at, from a, a Game of Thrones mode. So one of the reasons why I picked up Malazan in the first place way back when was because I was sick of waiting around for uh, well, it was Dance with Dragons at that time, um, sure. you know, and so I actually just went online and I was like, what kind of epic fantasy is actually completed? So I was coming into it from Game of Thrones and I was like, oh, I get it. I'm like, we're waiting for uh, Whiskey Jack or Dujack One Arm is eventually going to become the rightful ever that they sure, should have sure, been sure. And, and all of that stuff. And yeah. And so like. And I don't think I fully appreciated it until maybe like book six, um, the first time around that I was like, oh, my gosh, there's like this whole other thing. You know, there is these gods getting involved on the mortal field and all of that stuff. But it, they, they all just seem kind of tangential or little asides like world building or something like that. And I didn't realize that 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 was actually uh, the chessboard that we were looking at. And these were like little side pots. Um, that we were talking yeah, no, about 100%. that is the main story and like who controls the malazane empire is essentially irrelevant especially right. yeah, i mean and although that's the only reason i was glad i read some esselmont books the first time through is to mm -hmm. kind of have some resolution about that you know but that's kind of a side thing. Um, sure. No. Yeah. And uh, and that's what I, I love about it is because you, you know, that's and that's what makes it such ripe, you know, fertile ground to go back and do rereads and things like that is just because it really is um, a, this kind of giant three dimensional chess game and all these little pieces kind of moving around the, the board. And so there's just, you know, I don't think you can ever um, be be the Malazan pro. Yeah. Um. So uh, let me ask you this. Your second, third time through, I think you said you're on your third time now. Yeah. What do you what, what do you think your biggest change from meeting reading Memories of Ice the first time to reading it on a reread has been? Huh. I think just knowing kind of the the you know the consequence of of it all. I mean, there's a bunch of uh, tragic moments, and I think I I you know realize some of these uh, friendships and relationships that get mm -hmm. built during mm -hmm. this are actually some of the deepest of the whole series. And like you know when you're reading it through your first time, you have no sense of like again how how consequential these things are. But you know I'm thinking about like. You know, Whiskey Jack and Corlat, the the friendship that like Anamanda Rake, who doesn't seem like he, you know, makes friends like that has like this once in a couple of millennia uh, friendship going with um, Whiskey Jack. I think that I just appreciate the human emotion of it, too, and mm -hmm. just the tragedy of it all versus the kind of hunger to because it is a linear story um, to kind of find out what happens versus really like appreciating all of the the nuance and you know i i hear a lot of people criticize malazan for not having like depth of character and i think it's just it's there but it's not there in exposition on the page it's more a a, a journey of empathy and putting yourself in in those people's shoes and so um, that's the biggest thing that I'm, you know, going slower now because I know what happens and that part, you know, I don't have to worry about. And so, like, 
you know, really kind of mining that that human emotion, because there's a lot of, you know, stuff with friendships and bonds and relationships. And what does it mean to be good and moral? And, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of like philosophical stuff bubbling under the surface with like um, Whiskey Jack taking down the 10 Scowry. And there's just a lot of cool stuff in there. Yeah. To, to speak to the characters thing, I, I think it's very interesting you bring that up because I think I understand mm, griping with that part of the with that part of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I hear people and I think it's because the characters, you know, well, there's so many of them, you know, not everyone. Sure. Right. Of course. But a, a lot of the characters are, are very interesting, but they're characterized in this way where it's not really I don't know. It's not always forefronted their emotions, you know, and it's like it's more of an observation thing and you kind of have yeah. to read into it, you know? Um, yep. But I think it's definitely there since if you think about it, I mean, so much of these books are just people talking to each other, you know? And like a lot of the times they are conveying information, but a lot of these conversations, especially later in the series, are, I mean, so much of it's just like two people talking about an idea with one another. That's like half of the scenes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yep. So, yeah, I, I hear you on that. Um, it's interesting you bring up the Whiskey Jack thing. I think it was so, it's such a Whiskey Jack focused book in some way, or at least, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it, it really is his, oh, yeah. I don't know if it's his book, but he's definitely a primary, it's the last time he really has his scenes, right? Right. And I think for the reader, you know, it's like this is where the legend of Whiskey Jack that perpetuates through the rest of the series comes from. Yeah. Is, yeah. You know, you, you see that empathy, you see uh, these other, you know, who were, you know, prior to these godlike figures, giving him respect and showing deference and all of that and finding out he wasn't just this kind of squad sergeant guy, but actually, you know, has been a person who commands respect throughout this whole long history and then he's gone, but but it, that that kind of legacy gets built up in Memories of Ice, and that you know it carries through the whole till the tenth book, really. And I gotta say, and I like I know Whiskey Jack's such a popular character, and like I go against the grain. I'm not like a huge Whiskey Jack fan or anything, but I think what's interesting there's no coherence to my viewpoint because I'm a huge Dujak fan, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and like you know. Uh, they're like very similar in some ways, you know? Um, So like, I don't know, there's no coherence there, but something that uh, to pivot a little bit, something that really stood out to me, and maybe it's just because currently I'm rereading dust of dreams um, Mm -hmm. is that all of this bargast stuff. When (laughs) I first read it in memories of ice, I thought nothing of it, you know? And I just thought, You know, because there's the uh, Dujak's host is so big and there's so many different armies in it. You know, I really thought the Bargast and all this lore about them and then like their future stuff and all this. It was just like more like, oh, well, this is the story of this one army in it, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was interesting, especially the conversation Kaffel has uh, in Kapustan, like to see how much it's setting up their entire arc in book nine and ten, you know? Oh, yeah. And I mean, just that's just one of those things like obviously I had no sense of in book three the first time through. So, right. And and, you know, even the whole thing with uh, the stick snare and all of that and just finding Mm. out their their magic going forward. And actually, you know, with Hood's involvement there, I totally didn't pick up on that my first time through. But there's like, you know, all of these different threads are are kind of interwoven through that Bargast uh, storyline. And so, you know, there is just to the original point 
point that we were talking about, like these kind of um, higher level games that we're starting to get the the seeds planted for for later down the road that you're like not even paying attention to uh, originally. And so, uh, yeah, the bar gas stuff is is awesome. <laughs> and and just from a sheer like entertainment factor standpoint as well, they're like uh, super cool. And you see Trots go out there and do his thing. I mean, it's just fun to read, too. No, of course. It's uh, and, and I think Memories of Ice, to kind of loop back to almost my, my first take, it, it, I think it's easily one of the most fun books. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's way more fun. Like, some other, like, it's a bit of a downer, you know? But, like, some oh, yeah. of Toll the Hounds is a downer book. You know, I know <laughs> it has a fun, big, fun ending, but mostly it's a sad book about sad people, you know? Right. Um, where, like, Memories of Ice, although, like, the tennis gallery are gross or whatever, I mean, it's mostly, like, cool soldiers fighting cool enemies, you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah, totally. And you end up getting the W, you get the emotional connection from the early loss, and then uh, the triumphant victory, and then you get the tragic kind of yeah. component. So it has it has it all from the kind of tropism standpoint, which is why I totally vibe with, like, those original comments that you were making, because it has just all all those, you know, traditional building blocks that are going to make you like it. Yeah, which like isn't a knock, you know, I think it's interesting yeah. and I think it's great. Actually, one of my favorite things about long series like this is that it allows each book to kind of do its own thing. I mean, like we you can have a Memories of Ice and then you can also have a Bone Hunters, which is right. a much, you know, more mm, fluid work in how it's structured, you know? Yeah. Um. Another takeaway I had going through Memories of Ice is like... How much, you know, and everyone speaks about compassion, right? Um, yeah. How much really, it's kind of the opening argument in a way, you know? Or it's yeah. like almost when he's most explicit about it, you know? Yeah, definitely. And and this one definitely hits those like the pain side too. And then the compassion and empathy side that, that kind of goes along with that. And, you know, op- the obvious one is, is it's Covian. But it's really, you know, throughout and even in the kind of, um, you know, smaller moments like talk and Aster and his rebirth and all of that stuff. When uh, Kalava goes and does her thing with the Panny and Seer towards the end of the mm-hmm. book. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they're they're feeling for each other. They're looking at their own uh, mistakes there. Uh, that that empathy and compassion piece is definitely front and center in this one. Yeah. And uh Recently, on our uh, uh, when we were talking about the chapter, the last chapter on the show, Josh said something that really made me think. He said that like usually villains are redeemed through their deaths, you know, and like mm-hmm. in this book, like they have to take like the harder path in a way. Yeah. And I think that's a lot about what's going on, and especially at the end of this year, you know, it's like compassion is the harder path is like to take on someone else's suffering than like righteously killing or judging them or something. Do you know what I mean? And totally. I, and I think that's what that ending is really getting at is about how it's just how much more difficult it is to do it, but maybe how it's the right thing, you know, and how like we should try, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the take that we're supposed to have, right? Is that we're supposed to feel like, man, that's brutal, but you know, they they're the better people for having done that. You know, I think even, you know, the stuff with, uh, again, going back to Kalava and, and the Panny and Seer and his sister 
and all of that. And just like how, you know, there was a lot of beef there, <laughs> obviously, yeah. um, on both sides. You know, she's she's angry about talk and they're angry about going into the rift at Morn for, um, you know, ages and, and all of that stuff. But then they basically come to a compact for the, the kind of greater good in ways that, you know, required sacrifice, obviously, on both sides. So, uh, yeah, just... Uh, <laughs> It, that's why I'm so appreciating it on the reread too, right? It's because you can kind of appreciate that deep emotional stuff and coming from um, the books that I've read in the past, like I was hungry for that deeper emotional side where, you know, and uh, the gray characters and, and all of that stuff where, um, you know, it just makes you think. Yeah, and, and it's funny you mentioned the gray thing. I think that's part of what makes this book so easy to process, you know? Because of how like kind of evil the Panindian demand, yeah. you know, it's like, and I'm here for it. You know, it's fun stuff. I love giant vultures, you know, condors. <laughs> uh, but like, it makes me think about like the conflict in Seven Cities. You know, we're going into House of Chains again, right? And definitely because of how kind of gray and ambiguous it is, you know, yep. I just, uh, it makes me so confused who to root for in a way. That you, I, I do end up feeling so disoriented that it's like harder to feel that catharsis of victory. And I mm -hmm. think that, I mean, that's, I think it's very purposeful, right? Because when you get into actually more complicated conflicts and like are actually trying to, to not have one person be using giant demon condors, like, yeah. you know, the catharsis of war, there's not going to be some big like huzzah we did it you know and i think that's what he's getting to where it's like these compromises aren't satisfying you know yeah and like they aren't easy and but the price of not having war or you know this type of violence is, is so much it, it's, it's like a price we should pay is to not have like the huge catharsis of killing you know sauron or whatever you know yeah no, definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's 100% intentional. I always say if you're looking to to read a series as kind of like a destination, if like you're the type where you're reading to kind of find out what happens, right, then I think that maybe Malazan isn't the best series for you because it's not about the the destination. I do think that you get a lot of closure. It's not one of those books where you're like, uh, you know, and, and you get to the end of 10 books and you've wasted a year of your life or something. You do get some closure, definitely. But, you know, it's not for me about the the destination. It's like about these big concepts and, and kind of just, uh, you know, really a journey of putting yourself in really despicable people's shoes and trying to understand, you know, where where they're coming from. And again, even with the last scene stuff in this in this book, I've taken so much heat on the channel in the comments section for just talking about how like I'm kind of like coming around. I'm not like a Lacine fan. She's not my favorite character by any stretch, but I'm like getting a lot more understanding for what she was trying to do and not just this kind of evil um, you know, stereotype that you get in the first couple of books. It's she's done definitely a lot of evil stuff, but there's um, a lot of layers there to try and unpack. So it's interesting you say that about the scene because I have really come around on her as well, you know, and I'm always apologizing for people on the podcast. I'm a big apologist, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is good. I think that's part of the, you know, the series is trying to get you to do that, right? Um, yep. So we talked to Erickson a bit about the empire and and it's kind of morality and it's kind of in a weird position, you know, and I ultimately feel very bad about the empire. I think it's a pretty bad force and, you know, but I think what's interesting about the series 
is I feel like, and this goes to a lot of things, I think Erickson kind of portrays it with a real indifference, you know, mm. um, which I think is ultimately pretty fair, you know, because, you know, it's easy for me to say empires are bad and that imperialism and colonialism are bad and all these things. But, um, you know, whether we like it or not, they exist. Right. And they exist in our world and they've existed for centuries. So, to act like they do not exist or that these giant forces are not going on is like, you know, that that's foolish. And I think Erickson creates this world where this exists and you can feel however you want about it. But empire exists in our world. Empire exists in that world, you know? Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean they're right or anything. I just think it's kind of a force of nature is how I think he puts it. Yeah, no, I, I I agree, and I think that uh, it's interesting because you know it's it's in some ways about how people navigate um, situations that are are thrust on them. You know, I mean, Gruntle is kind of like a tropish character, but it's like you know you have these people who are kind of like even taking the position that that we're kind of taking, right? Where it's like I don't care about that stuff, I'm not involved in that, and you know, but it it happens to them regardless, and. So then it's like, what do you do uh, in the face of these, you know, crazy things that are happening? And and you get to see just how, you know, how people navigate that, even though it's, you know, in some ways it's interesting because this is like almost high fantasy. We have like dragons and the Trigill trade guild or whatever who can like open up rents and drive through yeah, yeah. to the other you know dimensions and all of that fun stuff. But it, you know, then in other ways, it's like it's about the actual like real life human emotion piece and how, you know, what people do with different incentives. And like you think about Ithkovian and the stuff in Kapustan before um, the town got sacked. And there's, you know, you had like the whole gamut of people who, who were responding in different ways, selling out their own people, making deals, standing up for what they thought was right and everything in between. And so um, that that is kind of, you know, I think analogous to what you're saying on the Empire side, where it's like, you know, this stuff is just it's just out there and it is. And then it's it's an examination of of different methods of kind of responding to that. Absolutely. And we should loop back to the Gruntel thing. And I think that's why I brought up the Empire and Lass when you were talking about Lassine, because I think yeah. the way you put it is people responding to the situation they're in. And that's why I can have some sympathy for Lassine in a way. I mean, th this isn't obviously she's not in the right. You know, I, I, I know that's an obvious thing. But like encountering that Empire and you are within it and just like wanting to, you know, raise your rank and, you know, acquire power and do these things and like further the system of the empire. Like, I understand how she comes to that position and like this becomes her life, you know? So, you know, I know it's, it's a little more complicated than that. I just like, I, I just think that conversation she has with Kalam at the end of Deadhouse Gates is a very interesting conversation. And I was, I felt really robbed at the end of my first read of it, you know? which I think is purposeful. But the second time through, I just think that is such an interesting, fascinating turn. And I know we're talking about Memories of Ice, just, um, man, love that, love that conversation. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's a great point because, and you see it, you know, even in, in this book and it shows up down the road and she's eventually kind of out there uh, actually fighting in like hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so you think she's just demoted uh, Whiskey Jack, but there's obviously this kind of like, you can't even say a selfish motivation for doing 
doing that. It is partly selfish, but it was also, you know, there was a an aspect to being able to kind of counter whatever ploys that she was expecting coming down the pike on like the Shadow Throne revenge kind of uh, yeah. plot line. And, and that like does serve a bigger purpose for those troops, at least even if it is also self-serving for her too. Agreed. Now to loop back to Gruntle, he is a character who... I admit I am still bewildered by definitely at the end. It made somewhat sense why his story is in it. Right. But yeah, you know, I love his storyline in told the hounds. I'm a huge told the hounds fan, but yeah. um, I literally can't stop talking about that book anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like if you, I, you look at, my Silverback, Whiskey Jack, Ikovian. Uh, you know, y- y- I can see how all of these storylines are like running parallel. We're talking about the same thing. They're like, they're in dialogue with one another, you know? Yeah. And Gruntle's storyline is one that I am still somewhat bewildered by in trying to piece it together thematically and emotionally with what is being brought into the rest of the book. You know, I think for me, I'm trying to think about his relationship to Trake and how that reluctancy uh, to take up a vengeful path can play into the rest of the story. But admittedly, I, I, I still am somewhat confused about why his story is a part of this tapestry yeah Uh, that's an interesting point that you uh that you bring up i've never actually thought about that but i think as you were as you were walking through that i'm thinking like in some ways it's kind of also just to be able to capstone off the kind of fenner side uh Mm. of the story too and i think that he maybe was initially created as a vehicle to be able to kind of start capping that that end of that story off and and then just used it as as something to kind of pump through a bunch of what would be awesome you know project a bunch of awesome stuff onto him on top of that since we're having to create this character to to cap off the Fenner side of things because you do kind of see that with uh you know with Kapustan and all of that and also you get the the kind of hints early in Deadhouse Gates on that too but i think that uh you know we really see that that fender side wind down even though it's not going to wind all the way down for a while um but i think that it's it's the vehicle that lets them begin to start winding that down too so so he's just the beneficiary of getting all this extra awesomeness um as a result of having to be created for that purpose maybe no and 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 that's what i mean it's a very fun character. You know, everything he does is fun. He's around Corporal Roach and Bochelin, which are very fun characters, True. you know, and, you know, it's this whole story. It's it, but why it's in the book, I think it, I, I'm still, you know, th- I, on a thematic level, you know, is like, yeah. I still feel like I'm processing that, you know, and I, I think it does have, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, yeah. Of course, yeah, I, me, you know, like that's all I got. Totally. I'm thinking like plot device that then got imbued with other kinds of entertainment value. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Another thing I was struck by coming through this book again was uh, the Talani mass at this point, I thought were like a resolved storyline in a way. <laughs> and it's interesting to know how spread out they are and how some way their story is kind of resolved here, but we kind of then shift into other stuff. And it's just another thing with the Bargast where it's like when you introduce them in this early, I don't know, it's interesting to see where they go as kind of a race as a unit, you know? Yeah, definitely. And you get a lot of that critical uh, backstory and like world building that goes along 
uh, with them. But I think you get a lot of the the kind of motivations, right? It's like, what are these huge like dust cloud warriors that we know from the first mm-hmm. uh, book? And you find out that there's like actually like this uh, motivation. That's why I know I keep bringing her up. But I think Kalava's story is so interesting, too, because you kind of see even within that world that there's all kinds of, you know, internal conflict there and not everybody's on the same page with this kind of uh, never-ending war. And that's kind of echo resonates with where they're at by the time they're basically reaching Coral, right? Is that like a lot of them and Tool alludes to that even as early in Gardens of the Moon and talking about um, futility. And I think, you know, there's a lot of buyer's remorse there that you kind of get some insight into where that, that came from. It's funny you say that. I actually think I was bothered by that for a long time. And it's only the second time through that I've kind of let go a lot of those qualms I had Um, in that, like, I almost wish it was a very human focused story and that it could just be like, these are the skeleton people. They're like this, period, you know? But like, as with everything in this world, like, no, it's like there's like a ton of different factions and they all have their own opinions and leaders, you know, because like, you know, that's how that's how it'd be. Um, But, you know, obviously he's made it more complicated than that. But like, you know, I think it becomes pretty clear late. I don't know. I feel like it's starting here and earlier on that you can see this division you're talking about, which exists in all those other races, too. I mean, like sure. you learn, you learn about the different types. I think you, the first time the short tales are talked about are in, are in this book too. Yeah, and, and yeah, I just everyone ends up having these smaller divisions, which is interesting, but can be a little yeah, messy. It's kind of like but. the onion. You can appreciate it on all the different layers, depending on which one you want to hyper obsess on uh, during that particular uh, run through the chapters. I feel like. Yeah. Well. Uh, I think we're 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 probably wrapping up, but I, I guess I would just ask first. Let me ask this: favorite book in the series? Are you going with Memories of Ice? I don't know if I can go with Memories of Ice. I love it. Um, I think it's you know I honestly consider the first three books like the whole the introduction. Really, it's just one big giant long introduction to uh, to the series, and so I love it from. From that standpoint, I love the moments that it has. Again, it has some of the best um, and most heartbreaking. Well, maybe not most heartbreaking, but it's got some heart, some heart wrenchers in there, you know, but also it just tees up so much. You know, we haven't even talked about the um, the bridge burners ascending and all of mm. that, you know, yeah, that obviously plays a huge role later in the books and uh yeah, there's just so much again of of consequence and also of backstory that I love, but I still think maybe I'm like a, a Toll the Hound slash a Reaper's Gale. You know, I like the ones where they kind of rip your heart out of your chest, then you take like two, three hundred pages and keep jumping up on down on it for a while. Um, so, but but it is a it is a, a a really good one. I'll say it's top ten. Nice. Um, I, it's definitely, uh, well, I'll get to my thought in a sec, but to pick on two things you said there, it's so interesting you bring, bring up the bridge burners ascending thing, which I think is such an interesting plot point because it's kind of working in a meta way, you know, mm. because like their legend is already so imbued in the reader's head that like to then bring it into the world is like, yep. Is speaking to our experience because obviously we recognize them as kind of heroic and legendary yep. and blah, blah, blah. You know, so I, I, I think, and that goes for, I don't know, it's just an interesting way to interact with the reader. And then Reaper's Gale, I think is a great example. I am not a huge Reaper's Gale fan, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I think I'm not a big 
Garns and the Moon fan, you know? However, reading that book again the second time was a very interesting experience. I was very engaged. I was seeing all of this stuff that I was like frustrated. I just didn't understand the first time, you know? Yeah. And I found that reread to be much more exciting and stimulating and thought provoking than rereading Memories of Ice, you know? Like, interesting. Basically, I feel like I reread this book and I was like, yep, still good. Okay, next <laughs> book, you know? Like, yeah. I, like, I had a good time, but I don't feel like I was seeing a new perspective onto it. I mean, sure. I, I, obviously, I picked up all this stuff that we talked about, about all this jujitsu, but it wasn't like, it was just a change of a few inches. You know, I didn't come at this whole new perspective. So I think I'm more interested in rereading House of Chains, the next book, because yeah. that's not... I don't, I don't, House of Chains is probably bottom five for me right now. I don't really think that, that highly of that book, but right. I feel like I'm going to see so much more new in it the second time around and that there's like a bigger opportunity for me to reevaluate this than like, I'm sure I'm just going to reread Man- Midnight Tides and be like, yep, still like the book, you know? Yeah. I don't yeah, know. No, it, and it, I think those those ones that you maybe didn't really like the best the the first time around are sometimes the ones that are the best the second time around because it's um you know about the destination the first time around and not the journey and and i think the journey ones are the ones that you know do seem like more of a slog that that first time when you're just like who are these people what happened you know what i mean like tell me what happens do they win do they (laughs) you know and uh and so i think that when you're when you're kind of creeping through them and just kind of luxuriating in the prose and all that stuff, then then some of those ones that are maybe more boring on a first read through are the ones where you're like, oh my gosh, he's really laying it down here and setting up some concepts. I think you're dead on. And I think that's actually what you said something about your advice earlier about testing and journey. And, uh, and I think that's probably strong advice. And I definitely think it stands for my reread of Toll the Hounds was so different than my first read. And I think yeah. it is because as you're saying, you can be on your first read through so antsy to get to like, what is going to happen? Where, how, like Steve, give me the goods um, yeah. that like, you know, when we spend 20 pages with like two people on the shore talking about, you know, just abstract philosophy, you know, it can be easy to feel like, yo, what is going on? You know, like, I hate you, right. shit. you know, yeah. like, but then like the actually when I don't know, almost the burden of wanting to get to the end of the book is lifted off you. I don't know. It just gives you more freedom to sit. And maybe I should have appreciated it more the first time through, but I feel fine about it. Where you know, I don't know. No, I'm very much a destination reader prior to this. So I was very, you know, I'm the I'm the guy who binge watches and just like stays up till three in the morning because there's only a couple chapters left because I'm just like very obsessed with wanting to know uh, what happens. So that's why I feel like it has it's taken me three times to really actually feel like I'm I'm able to actually absorb. It's like the first time was just to ingest. The second one was to kind of digest. And then this one, this third time through um, is time to hopefully appreciate um, and just, you know, again, like luxuriate in it because there's there's a lot of stuff, even like Deadhouse Gates. I used to hate I remember hating Fellison that first time through Mm. um, and now just really like feeling sorry for her and and, you know, the pity piece and which I didn't have time for. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're terrible. Let's find out what happens. Interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, and that's why. You know, 
I'm I'm still not a huge Gardens of the Moon fan or anything, but that is the book I think I would I, I let change the most, and I think that's why Memories of Ice, Dead House Gates, essentially just read and thought still good books, you know. Yeah. So I, I'm interested going forward to encounter those books in kind of the bottom five, so to speak. You know, not that it's yeah. a competition or anything. I feel sure. like each book is kind of going about such a different thing anyway that in some yeah. ways it's weird. Like, because I just you know, what Dust of Dreams is doing is so different than Dead House Gates, you know? So Sure. Yeah. And um, I really look at it all as one, you know, big long story. I'm a Kindle reader, so I actually have like the ten book oh, do you? Um, set. And so it's kind of I don't even everyone always says, like, remember that one time in Reaper's Gale or remember in uh, you know, whatever, and in the Bone Hunters when this happened, and it's like I I kind of view it all as one book of the fallen just because there is no actual you know when i was reading it on the paper white there's no physical delineation you just like keep scrolling to the next chapter whether that's a new book or not and and i think that they, in some ways that kind of you know is what you're describing is that they're all um their own little kind of entries in this one big story yeah it's interesting that you mentioned that because i think that simultaneously like there is a big connection and you know especially I feel like emotionally is like where there's like a spiritual through line through it all, you know, but really there is a very episodic contained nature to each book, you know? Yeah. In that, like, you know, at the end of midnight tide, like each book pretty much is its entire story at the end of it. You could like the, the TV episodes over to, I mean, we're done, you know? Yeah. And then like a lot of stuff is picked up, but like lots of the times things are pretty different in the next book or, you know, it's the, it, it exists both as like all part of a continuum and also very separate. So it, it's interesting. Yeah. It straddles that line. Totally. And they don't, you know, they don't end up connecting all the dots, right? Like we end up after book 10 um, having a feeling of, you know, that we get some closure and stuff, but there is a lot of unaddressed stuff uh, out there. And I think, you know, that's why we're still getting books, obviously, too. But I think there's like almost limitless potential because there's so many things that are left unresolved, too. So again, it's not this kind of destination book where they throw out all these threads and then tie them all together in this beautiful little bow for you at the end and put the wrapping paper on the beautiful package and all that stuff. And I think that's what's what draws me to it so much is that like ultimately the question and like the destination that gets resolved is like an emotional catharsis one. I mean, it's about yeah. resolving this question of like, what are we going to do with this crippled God? Blah, blah. I, I, I don't know. It, it, we're like building towards an emotional release. And then like those plot things, a lot of those, like, you know, all these like tertiary things, they just are get, have to get resolved in other books are not resolved because like, that's ultimately not what the game is. You know, the game is this right. emotional one at the center of it, you know? And I think that's why that's why it's a good work. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's why, you know, folks like you and me are here today, because there's just so much to uh, so many innards to plumb, if you will, because, uh, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that um, we can debate about and we can argue about and everyone can read the same passage and have different interpretations and connect it to different dots at different points. Uh, in the story. And, and again, that's why it's just so it's a grown up book. I love it. You know, I came from realm of the elderlings and wheel of time and then game of thrones later. And I started on earth sea. And this is just very much dealing with uh, things that are applicable to today, deep issues, philosophical issues, moral issues that even are, even though it's high fantasy, it feels like applicable to just regular life too. Absolutely. 
Thanks so much for being on the show today. If people want to hear you talk about the books more, they can find you on YouTube. Anything else? You like? You can do a little plug. You want to do a little plugs? Go. Yeah, sure. Hey, thank you so much. No, we're on uh, we're on YouTube. I created the channel just because that's kind of my medium where I'm always like watching YouTube videos, and I'm like, why isn't there any uh, Malazan YouTube videos? And so I decided to take a stab. I'm at Iskar Jarak on YouTube. We have a little Discord set up, which you can find in the description of our videos and uh, Facebook. And I'm trying Reddit, but I'm pretty terrible at Reddit too. So uh, mostly on YouTube, but uh, I just, I really appreciate having someone to nerd out with on the series. That's why I started my channel. That's why I accepted the invite to be here today and just uh, had so much fun. Had a lot of fun too. I'm hopeful, I'm sure we'll talk again and we'll include a link to Iskar's channel in the description of the show. And I think... I'm unsure about what episodes of the podcast come out next. I think there's some special episodes and then we'll get to House of Chains. As always, we're 10 Very Big Books on Twitter and Gmail. Let us know what you think of the show or uh, what you think of Memories of Ice in in the span of the whole series. And uh, that's about it. Thanks again, Iskar, and uh, goodbye. See ya. Hello everyone, producer AJ here, having some deja vu. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode, and thank you so much to Iskar for agreeing to come on the show. If you haven't checked out any of Iskar's videos, I would highly recommend you check them out in the link in the description. Secondly, there is another episode in the feed today. Pete spoke with Josh and I about the first collected tales of Bocalane and Corbel Brooch. Uh, it was a great time to read and to talk about these stories, so if you want to listen to that, head on over to our feed and you can start listening right now. Uh, like I said in the beginning of the episode, thank you all for being so great and understanding about making room for the black community last week. It really means so, so much. Uh, Also, don't forget to visit the link in the show notes for some great resources to help out and to learn. Uh, If you'd like to join our community discord, you can head on over to bit.ly slash VBB discord. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D discord. That link will also be in the show notes. And as always, thank you so very much to Dan Gesrick for making our spectacular logo. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Gesserick for the hottest bear takes and of course the wonderful music in today's episode is Floating Man by the one and only Amaranthin from their album The New Romantic which you can find along with Simulant Marine and their other music on Bandcamp.com Links to their pages will be in the show notes and 10 very big books will be back next week on June 19th with a very special D&D episode we are very excited about this one and we hope you are too I'll talk to you then and thank you so so much for listening